So just coming back again into stillness. Returning to this quiet place of just connecting with what's happening. Checking in with the body. Relaxing where there's space to relax. In the back. Or the shoulders. Letting the head rest gently on the neck. And any holding around the face, release. and trusting that you know how to do this practice, that you're able to just show up and do it in this moment. Everything that you need to be aware, to connect, to know, is right here in this moment. If you've found through experience that it's helpful to begin sitting by grounding the awareness in some particular aspect of experience, then you can choose to do that skillfully out of wisdom, out of understanding that this is conducive to awakening and with equanimity not grasping after any particular experience, any particular effect, but with understanding from your experience what you've seen to be skillful and what you've seen to be unhelpful. So we can use the tools that you've been taught this past week and throughout your practice, stabilizing the mind on the breath, if that's helpful, opening to hearing, maybe a felt sense of the entire body just sitting. whatever you found to be supportive in your work for your system. And then seeing what the effects are.
Once you feel like you've made a basic connection with the flow of experience, then you can just let all of those techniques go. You can just rest in the awareness of what's happening in the present moment. Allowing the moment to tell you what's happening, rather than trying to tell the moment what ought to be happening. When the sense doors are open and the mind is undistracted, then knowing just happens. Experience presents itself. And we can just allow awareness to follow along, noticing whatever is most predominant in this moment, whatever is clear and obvious to us sensation in the body, sound, a thought in the mind, a feeling. Just seeing what life has to offer us right here in this moment. If the impulse arises in the mind to alter the experience, to get involved in the experience in some way by applying some technique or reframing the experience or whatever it might be, then we can just be aware of the impulse itself. So this is the desire to change. This is the impulse to interfere. And we can just include that right in our practice without having to act on it. So you may experiment today, if you haven't already, with really just letting go of the techniques beyond that initial grounding and establishing of awareness. Really just see what happens if we make this commitment to just be open whatever presents itself. Trusting that life will present us with what we need and that we have the resources to meet it, whatever it might be.
So do you have any questions about your practice? So did everybody hear the comment? It's about uh, he has a lot of faith in the practice and coming here and doing the retreats, and he can see the good things come from it, but when we talk about this very lofty kind of ultimate goal of the practice of nibbana, of complete freedom, that's a little bit harder to really get the mind around, to really have confidence in. And that's okay, because really none of us is going to be sure that that's where this path actually leads until we get there. (laughs) But the kind of faith that we need to walk the path is really just what you're describing. We don't need to have any kind of a priori belief. It's not about a belief system that Nibbana is really true, that that's what really happens here. So it's not that there's this doctrine that we have to, that we have to swallow, just as the Buddha said to the Kalamas. Don't believe it just because somebody sits up here and says it. Don't believe it because you read it in a book. But if you think that the, this path seems promising, if you see good results just from what you have confirmed in your practice, what you have seen to be true, then that provides us with the seed of faith that maybe there's something to the next step on the path that we're not really sure about yet. It gives us the faith just to keep walking the path where we are right now and to see where it leads and to eventually confirm what we can for ourselves. So it's really not necessary and actually not helpful to just believe in that doctrine uh, if it doesn't seem plausible or or if it hasn't been confirmed for you yet but just to honor where you are. Um, The quality of faith that we need to walk this path is it's really more fundamental. It's faith in just the ability as a human being to be happy. And we don't know what that happiness really means until we realize it. We uncover it bit by bit and learn what that really means for ourselves. And we don't need to grasp onto any preconceived notion of what it means. So we present the teachings, we tell you what the Buddha said, because we found in our experience that what we have confirmed, for the most part, he was pretty right on. He knew what he was talking about. And we have faith that there was something to what he was saying. And the exact sense of it and the exact meaning of it, we're not going to really know for ourselves until we get there. So uh, please, somebody, do. <laughs> so that you can, you can sit up here and... And let us all know from your own direct personal experience what is really this thing called Nibbana. We're eagerly awaiting that moment. <laughs> See, all, all the way in the back. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
the, so the question was about, was about piti, which we translate as kind of spiritual joy. It's a kind of joy, but we make this disclaimer that it's not sensual joy, not sensual pleasure. So what's the, the distinction between those? So the distinction is the source of the enjoyment. So P, what we call PT, what we call uh, joy, is really a very pleasant experience. And it can be experienced in both the body and the mind. So it can create a lot of pleasant experience in the body. In fact, it does. That's the nature of it. And also in the mind. So the mind is really joyful and pleased as well. So it's just overall a really pleasant experience. I mean, no two, no two ways about it. But the difference is the source of that joy. So with sense pleasures, the source of our enjoyment is coming from some contact with some external experience, contact with a pleasant sense object, something outside of us, touching, or touching something, or smelling something, or tasting something, or seeing something, or talking to someone, or having contact with the objects that come up in our minds, a pleasant thought or a pleasant emotion. So contact with some sort of sense experience. But PT, uh, the spiritual joy, arises not from connecting with a particular experience, but from the quality of knowing, from the quality of the mind itself. So it's internally generated from the quality of the mind itself. It's not dependent on what particular experience we're having, which is one of the big things that we learn from that experience of PT, that happiness isn't a real, really about coming into contact, about getting some particular experience, but it's really about how we're relating to it. When that kind of joy is present in the mind, then just you know, feeling a breath is just the most beautiful, joyful experience. Uh, just feeling the foot touching the ground when we walk is just immensely pleasant and joyful. So we start to see that this deeper kind of, of joy and happiness is in the relationship to experience and not in the experience itself. Uh, okay, did everybody hear that? <laughs> what do you do when you d discover an unskillful habit of mind and the mind starts to obsess about it? So do you mean that the mind starts to think about the habit? This, this is a form of the same question that comes up over and over again in here and in interviews, which is basically, how do I found, find balance in the mind with some kind of difficult experience? Right? And how do I find balance uh, and the resources, the inner resources, to be present with some challenging experience? So in this case, obsessing thoughts, a particular habit of mind that comes up over and over again is challenging. And it's really just... <laughs> Everything that we said so far, just be aware of it. So just noticing the thoughts, noticing the feelings coming up. In the context of what we're doing here, you don't really need to interpret it or try to do anything at all with it other than just notice it. It's the noticing of it that will de eventually, in the long term, decondition it and retrain the mind to have a different relationship to it. So just as you're, you're describing, seeing the obsessive thought pattern come up, seeing how sticky the thoughts are, the feelings, and just writing that out, just watching how it works will bring the wisdom of knowing its true nature, seeing the suffering in it, seeing the impermanence in it, 
seeing gun controllability of it. And beyond that, there's really not anything here that we need to do with it. You know, outside of retreat, there are other tools, obviously some really great tools for working with kind of the sticky psychological knots in our lives. You know, so it's not that we shouldn't also make use of those tools where they're available. But we're, what we're doing here is a different way of relating to it, of really just experiencing what is that like to be stuck in that and how does it operate. So the question is about how to cultivate calm, which is something that um, we all tend to always want a little bit more of on retreat, (laughs) because calm makes everything so much easier, doesn't it? Those moments that are calm. So just to start off with the disclaimer that the agenda is not to create calm or to manufacture calm. But that being said, there are times when when we may see that we're agitated, that we get so agitated, really, that it's difficult to connect that we can't really be present with experience. And there are ways of cultivating calm. Um, one very classic one that we do here is just slowing down. You know, we've been encouraging you all week to just really slow down. When you get up and leave the cushion and you go out there and you do your walking and you engage in the other activities, just really keeping the body calm. You know, there's such a strong link between mind and body. So sometimes, if other, if other supporting conditions are right, if we just slow the body down, then the mind will kind of follow suit if we're careful about our movements and just really act as if we were calm, kind of if we pretend that we're calm physically, then if other supporting conditions are right, then the mind may follow suit, or it may not, too. But we can um, investigate that. We can just bring awareness to that. You know, We can make that experiment. We can try out that tool, see how it works in that particular set of conditions, and then see what happens. And if it's not right, if it's not going to work, then we can just watch all the reactions to that <laughs> and see what happens next. Um, any kind of tool that increases concentration in the mind or that is uh, fo- uh, focused on concentration will tend to incline the mind towards calm. So maybe just connecting with a few breaths, bringing that continuity of paying attention to a, more, uh, a smaller subset of experience can increase calm or just uh, inclining the mind towards calm, recognizing that it's not present, that other factors are present, tuning into whatever the impediments to calm may be, if there's restlessness, noticing that. As we notice restlessness and agitation, we may find that it diminishes and fades away, or not. <laughs> <laughs> not those kind of thoughts. Mm-hmm. I have one now. 
So, so everybody hear the comment that um, it seems like when he's sitting on the cushion, there's a lot of thinking going on. If he doesn't have a particular focus to the meditation, a lot of thoughts come in. But when he's engaged actively in some kind of physical activity, it seems like there's less thinking and more focus. So is there a question in there? <laughs> Or I, could, or I could just comment that, uh, I mean, that, that's, a, that's a common experience that it seems that way. But I wouldn't uh, make assumptions. You know, it can be that when uh, we're very, we're busy, we're engaged in something, especially something that's very physical, so we have to focus a lot on the physical aspect of what we're trying to do, you know, working with heavy objects or, you know, big kind of activities. Um, it may not be that there's less thinking going on. It may just be that you're not aware of the thinking going on because you're more focused on more obvious things that are part of the experience at that time. So it may actually be that there's some, a continuous stream of chatter running in the background of the mind, kind of. But you're maybe just not noticing it because you're occupied with other things. And that's fine, because it doesn't matter which aspect of our experience we're tuning in with. So we don't need to worry that maybe that's going on and we're not noticing. It's enough just to be with the work and whatever you're doing physically. But then you may come and sit down on the cushion, the body gets quiet. And this is one of the, the, the reasons behind doing things the way we do here. The body gets quiet. We're not occupied with that aspect of experience. And the, that level of kind of background noise of all the thinking, it rises to the surface and reveals itself. So then we have an opportunity to see that aspect of the experience. So just to not to make any assumptions about how the mind and body are operating, but just to, to be in tune with, okay, during this activity it's like this, sitting on the cushion and other activity it's like this, and there's things that we can learn from both of those. And we don't need to um, try to make them into anything else than, other than what they are. Um, it's true that if we're not de deliberately focusing the mind, say, on the breath or some particular anchor of attention, then we're going to notice other things. We're going to notice all of the thinking, we're going to notice the emotions, we're going to notice sounds, you know, all of that, those other things. Again, if we're not focusing on one particular aspect of experience, other things rise to the surface and we can notice them. And that's fine. That's good. I think we're out of time for questions this morning. The, um, the last round of interviews will be this morning. So if you haven't had uh, three interviews yet, this morning will be your last one. And you can ask some more questions there. And I wanted to just point out, in case you've completely forgotten what day it is and you haven't looked at the bulletin board, <laughs> that this afternoon the schedule is going to be changing a little bit. There's going to start to be some uh, activities related to the closing and the ending of the retreat. And specifically at 2 o'clock this afternoon, Instead of the sitting, there's a, um, going to be a meeting in here where, where there'll be some important information about the closing of the retreat and uh, some information from Steve and Kamala and the retreat managers. So everybody, please uh, make sure to be here for that 2 o'clock meeting. And also, I wanted to remind you that 2 o'clock doesn't happen until 2 o'clock. So you still have almost five hours, precious hours here to continue to practice, to continue to cultivate awareness, connection. And if thoughts of anticipation, excitement, craving, fear, dread, <laughs> whatever it might be, arise, 
than just to notice those. This is really a great opportunity, this, this kind of end winding down part of the retreat, to learn about how your mind responds to transition, to endings, and to change. So it's really a valuable, uh, equally valuable part of the retreat, and I encourage you to make full use of it. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.